Welcome to the Housewife of Horrors podcast. And welcome back to our second part of our last episode where we continue our Cabrini Green Candyman conversation. I am your housewife, Regina, and here with my ever-faithful companion, Evil, from 3B Video. Say hello, Evil. Where are you looking for Candyman, bitch? All right, now that we have started that, uh, for those who listened last week, we discussed uh, many of the murders that took place from uh, 1970 uh, to, like, 2020, actually. So What a wonderfully like cheerful video or a podcast it was nothing but sunshine and rainbows and not a single bit of death or down information that entire hour um it it was a lot to take in and my apologies for getting emotional during a couple of those segments how dare you be human when talking about children getting hurt murdered anything of that sort it does get to me and a lot of people that were killed over the years have unfortunately been children all under the age of 15. Well, with that being said, I'm scrolling down through my notes here, and we're going to get to the second part of this, which is we wanted to talk about the movie Candyman that was filmed in Cabrini Green in 1992. But um, in one part of the movie, uh, it's the part where Helen and Bernadette are kind of typing up their notes, and the cleaning lady comes in and she goes, oh, Cabrini Green, Candyman, um, what you know about that? So then she starts asking her, well, what do you know? And they start talking about the unfortunate murder of Ruthie Jean. Um, this is actual, like, fact. There are, few, there are quite a few things about this movie that are fact. The fact that they did film this in the real Cabrini Green. Some of the gentlemen you do see at the bottom of the stairs when they're first entering the apartment complex and the building and stuff, those are real live people who live there. They're gang members, and many of them were hired to help in the assistance of making the movie. But before we get really into the movie stuff, I did want to touch on the story of Ruthie Jean that uh, is told to Helen by the cleaning lady. And then she starts like all looking into it. And that actually did happen uh, in 1987 to a woman named Ruthie Mae McCoy. So they kind of kept it somewhat close to the original story. They just kind of changed some names, but... Um, they didn't use the real McCoy. Right. So my source is the Chicago Reader, an article called They Came Through the Mirror, A Murder in the Projects by Steve Bogira. And he wrote this on September 3rd, 1987. You showed me, like, the uh, artist drawing that came with that article on there. And that's, like, hopefully that's something you uh, throw onto your uh, I visual planned on aids. Because, yes. like, it's, it's a terrifying piece of artwork. And I love it, weirdly. 
Uh, yes, I will be posting that on the Instagram and Facebook page for Housewife of Horrors. You can find uh, each week I actually try to put a picture or a few pictures up of like the victims. So there's like faces to names, stuff like that, which I did include many pictures of Cabrini Green and a couple of the victims last week. Uh, and this week you can find this horrifying drawing from the newspaper article that he was just speaking of. So to kind of give you a little back history on Miss Ruthie. Um, so after her, this is kind of, we, we're going to go back a little and then come back. And anyway, so after her basement apartment had flooded in May of 1983, uh, Ruthie had moved into the Grace Abbott housing project. Um, Grace Abbott is, I'm trying to look to see how far away, it's just... Um, a few miles outside of Cabrini Green. So um, she uh, was kind of afraid of high rises. Uh, this was a scary place for her, but um, she kind of took what she could get after her apartment flooded and she uh, applied for housing. She ended up getting an apartment in the, one of the Grace Abbott buildings uh, on the 11th floor. Uh, McCoy was also known as Miss May to the neighborhood kids. I make that sound like she's like the neighborhood kids loved her, but she, um, the kids often made fun of her because she would shake her stick. She would walk around with a big old stick and she would shake her stick at the kids who played their music too loud in the hallways or kids that made fun of her. Damn you kids. Yes. Um, I kind of, I'm looking for my notes here. So yes, I'm looking at it and it says that uh, it is about five miles away from Cabrini Green and Grace Abbott was 15 stories. Uh, there were seven buildings that were 15 stories high. So, and just like Cabrini Green, there was a lot of malfunctioning utilities, poorly maintained conditions. Um, there were junkies and drug addicts hanging out in the hallway, laying on the stairs. Uh, it, it was very similar to Cabrini Green with the violence, the drug addicts, and the poorly maintained conditions. I feel like it, it like, probably looks like Fool's apartment, or apartment complex and the people under the stairs. Hey, Fool, I heard you're getting evicted. Um, Ruthie was... Um, through a few articles, they do mention her mental health and how she had paranoia. Um, I feel like as important of a detail, they felt the need to include that. I don't feel like it really plays into the story and how I'm going to say that. So um, you will. It sounds you, like it covers their ass a it little does, bit. No. I don't think even her having mental illness covers no, well, up the incompetence I'm, that happened through this story. I'm not saying it cover, covers them, but it's them trying to be like, well, I mean, she calls with the with crazy shit all the time. How are we to know this time it was real? Where'd you read that she calls all the time? I'm just assuming that it's like, oh. well, if she's got mental stuff, it's like, maybe she had called before, maybe she's always got stories to... Oh, maybe okay, I was she... going to say, I read nothing of the sort. No, um, I'm just I'm just assuming if they're going to go out of their way to tell us she's got that, like, some mental stuff going on, it's like, well, who's to know when she's actually telling the truth? 
I did read that sometimes when like the kids were too unruly or they were getting violent, she would call the police then. They did state that, but they never anywhere stated that she was constantly calling 911 over delusional things or anything of that sort. So moving on, um, what's really sad about this is Ruthie was only 52 and before her murder, she was, um, she was seeking psychiatric therapy, but also through her therapy, she was working towards getting her GED. I thought that was really awesome to read about her, that she's 52, she's working on trying to get her high school diploma, GED, and kind of just get out there and change her life. Because also, just a couple months before she was murdered, she was approved for more financial assistance, and she was making plans on working to get out of Grace Abbott, to get to a, just a smaller neighborhood, more quiet, not a high rise, possibly maybe even a small little house for herself. But she was working on improving herself. She ended up getting a little more help with some finances and she was making plans to get the hell out of Grace Abbott. She had enough of them damn kids. Um, her neighboring apartment became vacated shortly before her murder and that's where the gang that mainly ran Grace Abbott were known as the Paymasters. And the Paymasters ended up using this apartment to sell drugs and operate their drug stuff more discreetly, not so out in the open. So April 22nd, 1987 comes along. And um, so once again, like we said, Ruthie Mae McCoy, 52, lived in the Grace Abbott homes on the 11th floor. Uh, Ruthie had called at 845. She called 911 and she quote says, I am a resident at 1440 West 13th Street and some people next door are totally tearing this down, you know? End quote. When the dispatcher asked if they wanted uh, to break in, she replied, yeah, they throwed the cabinet down. I'm in the projects. I'm on the other side you can reach, can reach my bathroom. They want to come through the bathroom." End quote again. She proceeds to give the address and the dispatcher, this is where I feel incompetence, uh, misunderstanding, something. This is where shit starts to go wrong in my opinion. So the dispatcher reports it as a quote, disturbance with a neighbor and not a break-in and that's why the police didn't arrive till 9 10 p.m 8 45 she calls that is 15 another that's 25 minutes for the police to arrive while waiting for police to arrive two more calls concerning ruthie may were made at 902 and 904 both claiming they heard gunshots police finally get there they knock they call they get no response so they turn to the building janitor but he claims he didn't have a key for her apartment the neighboring apartment was vacant like i said and the other neighbors said they didn't hear a thing so police figured they had the wrong place and left by 9:48 awesome Right, so it's like we have gunshots, we've got three calls, we've got this woman who's frantic. It, you would think that 
okay, maybe they would still kind of show up a little more quickly to a domestic disturbance with a neighbor because domestic disturbance can turn into a murder very quickly. So obviously they didn't take this domestic disturbance very seriously. Uh, they, I don't really feel like they tried. They kind of threw in that, oh, our hands are tied because if we bust in her apartment, we have to then get somebody in here to secure the place. She could possibly sue us for, you know, destroying her property, blah, blah, blah. They had just kind of one excuse after another as to why they didn't, like, kick in the door or some kind of way to get into this woman's apartment. I mean, not to excuse it, but I mean, there. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is a whole lot of red tape that's like we can't just like it's not like we can do in the fucking movies and and just go on in and assume and and also like from hearing what at least what was what we you was able to tell me what was going on in the calls like you couldn't. I mean, of course, in hindsight, I mean, you can totally tell what's going on by what she's saying. But I mean, if you were just hearing that out of the blue. I don't know if you would necessarily be able to put together the like what is going on. Like it sounds like some. It sounds like she said the walls coming down. Like it's it sounds kind of slightly muddled. I'm not excusing any of it, but I can kind of see that point. I'm a hair, and I'm talking a hair. We'll come back to that point. So okay. The next day, a friend of Ruthie's named Deborah Lasley, who also lived on the eleventh floor said that she saw the police there last night and she hadn't seen Ruthie there today when she normally stops by every day. She called police again, and this time six to seven cops and four to five Chicago Housing Authority security guards showed up but make no attempt to enter her apartment. None of them had keys? Uh, There's no keys. Nobody kicked it in. Nothing of the sort. Five janitors, no one's got keys. Somebody's about a letter ticket because that's really bizarre odds. So another day goes by. We're two days after this now. Deborah calls the management office. They sent in a carpenter over to drill through the door lock. Um, this is when they discover her dead on her bedroom floor, and she had been shot four times. Um, when the coroner's report came out, they did say that she did not die immediately. Uh, like, I can't. Rem- I should have wrote down like all the four t- places she was shot. One of them was like in the shoulder, but the main one like nicked an artery, and she basically, while police were sh- trying to show up and the janitor didn't have these keys, she's laying there and she dies of internal bleeding. Um, and the coroner did go on to say that even if they had gotten there she wouldn't have made it but that's besides the point uh so basically she was shot four times um there were things i'm giving you merely once again the cliff notes of this there were things like her tv her chair was stolen out of the apartment i was gonna say i was like so was this legitimate like like a break in to steal shit kind of thing like what was we're assuming the point of this. Yes, there from was perpetrator's a perpetrator's perspective. There was a robbery involved after the unfortunate shooting of Ruthie. So um, I'm not sure exactly how long after, but it wasn't long after. Two suspects were arrested and indicted um, Edward Turner, that was 19 at the time of the murder, and John Honduras, who was 22. Um, they were both tried for murder armed robbery, 
home invasion and residential burglary. And that's the exact quote from the other article I read when I went more into Turner and Honduras. Um, Honduras. <laughs> it almost looks like Honduras. Uh, I, maybe it could be, and I'm just totally pronouncing this wrong. And my deepest apologies to everybody that's been, like, talked about on the show. And if I mispronounce their name, I'm kind of a phonetic person. So, um, once again, my apologies for mispronouncing and slaughtering names here. How dare you? So, um, the two suspects chose different ways of trial. Uh, Turner opted for a trial by jury in which Honduras chose a bench trial in which he skips all the trial by jury and a judge chooses his fate. So when it came to uh, Edward Turner, um, he was, the jury deliberated not even quite four hours and uh, both men, this is going to shock the hell out of you, both <laughs> men were found not guilty on all charges. Really? They're, well, Honduras seemed to kind of have more of an acquittal, but what brought the non-guilty charges uh, verdict out was uh, a, one of the witnesses they had was like a junkie and possibly also involved with these men. There just wasn't enough evidence to prove which one shot Ruthie May. There just there wasn't enough evidence. There wasn't all circumstantial stuff that could be. And had the police maybe acted or kicked in a door from minute one this probably would have turned more into well we can't prove who killed you uh, killed the lady but we can definitely get you on robbery home invasion something but they were just found completely absolved of everything due to the unreliability of the witnesses the lack of evidence the i personally think incompetence of the police comment as the police i want all what five or six of these janitors arrested it's one of janitors like main jobs is to have a key to everything they're i mean they're called janitors keys right um yeah these are all things that you think would factor into her unfortunate passing but no it was just a lack of it was incompetence on almost everybody's part I think it's everyone like doing like 25% incompetence that adds together to 100%. Well, we fucked this one up. Yeah, so um, that's very unfortunate. Uh, I did read that Honduras, after he was released, his brother kind of made a statement that he just kind of wants, because they were in jail for like a couple years before they went to trial. So he was released from jail. He just wanted to get on with his life. Uh, he ended up kind of moving out of the neighborhood. He still visits there from time to time, but now he's just kind of living a quiet life with a job, a place to live, just a regular Joe now, which I'm hoping that he took from this a lesson, um, a warning, something. It, obviously, it sounds like that if that's kind of the last we've heard of, the, of these two guys. So um, with that being said... I just wanted to kind of give some insight to the whole Ruthie Jean slash Ruthie May story and how that was really factual. And they in the movie, they kind of talk about, um, like, 
just police don't come here and I mean this is obviously evident if it took the police 25 minutes to show up to a domestic disturbance because for me when I hear domestic disturbance there's violence involved somebody's you know brawling somebody's getting loud it's getting heated it's about to become a brawl and a brawl can quickly turn into a gun or a knife fight uh, I just don't think that they took it seriously enough um, and that has led to this woman's death um, fear in the neighborhood one thing that I did read is that when there were other cases in which the paymasters were involved they would intimidate their witnesses by lighting their front doors on fire they would douse the apartment door in gas and light it on fire as a show of force to keep you from testifying in any trial against the paymasters. Uh, sure, I mean, I don't know how the hell, like, maybe if you leave a note, but I mean, if you leave a note in the door, it's going to burn up in the fire, but I don't know how you would have, like, well, damn door caught fire. That's bizarre. Oh, well, I got to go testify against the, the paymasters, which is a interesting I'm name. sure once, you know, the, <laughs> the apartment renter you know came out and you know from the fire or whatever i'm sure there was somebody who kind of keep your mouth shut or it's going to be your whole apartment i'm sure there was some maybe some verbal threat after you know when the <laughs> renters come out of their apartment i'm you, sure you know it was the paymasters yeah pen a note to the door then I, then I set it on fire uh which is completely asinine to do but Obviously, they knew it was these people who have testified, the people who wrote this article knew that the paymasters did this as a way of intimidation. So I'm going to assume, which I try not to do, but I'm going to assume that once they come out, oh shit, we see, you know, one, two, three, four guys and, you know, it's like keep your mouth shut or something of the sort to let them know, one, it was us, two, this is why, three, keep your fucking mouth shut hmm. you do all these things and you'll be just fine there'll be no more fires you get to go on living so that being said now we're gonna kind of switch gears a little and go into the 1992 tony todd virginia madsen classic shot on location at cabrini green Candyman. Um, if you are a horror movie lover, you have probably seen this. You probably own it. If you haven't, do it. Go see it. Buy it. Rent it. Somehow you need to see this and own it, especially with the new Candyman movie coming out any day now, but we'll get to that later. I mean, he has penetrated, I think, pop culture because even if you've not seen Candyman, I think most people know the story of uh, saying saying his name five times in a mirror that people won't do that shit, or they've heard about it and such. I will say this uh, overall about the movie. It is a necessary watch, but I will pre-warn, it's not a feel-good movie. Like, it's you'll get done and go, you'll be a little bit down, but you're like, that was damn good, but it's, it's not like a, yeah, let's watch Candyman. It's... And we will be discussing some spoilers, so if you haven't seen it and you're all about the spoilers, 
go ahead and turn it off now because it's all going to be movie talk from here. Just pause. Or You can just hit pause. Yeah, you can just hit pause. Anyway. Spoilers don't affect this movie, I don't think, either. No. Um, I did want to talk about some kind of, you know, trivia tidbits about the movie. Um, a little bit of insight to what some things mean in the movie. But um, I did see in the special features that the bees had their own trailer and Tony Todd even said the trailer for the bees was bigger than his trailer. Well, there's more bees than Tony. I know, but bees are little. Yeah, but you know, and, a lot of them. I guess. I mean, have you seen, like, the box that, like, what, that a beekeeper has? He's got these multiple drawers with thousands of fucking bees in this one tiny box. I mean, I, I have seen uh, some shots of the trailer and such that the roaches had for Creepshow. Yeah, that's gross. So he did go on to say that over three films that he was stung 26 times and it was mostly on his chest. Uh, Virginia Madsen, before she did the movie, uh, the director did want her to plump up a little bit. So she did chow down on a lot of pizza, she said. And she did go have herself tested to see if she was allergic to bees, which she was. So I'm sure they probably had like EpiPens and shit like that on set to make sure everything still ran smoothly. Did you see the bit where uh, Tony had a contract that he got paid so much for each sting that he was uh, hit with by a bee? Hell yeah, I would have wanted some extra compensation for... Per sting. Pain, like... To, like, I wonder if he got like $1,000 a sting. That's like $26,000 he got extra just for his pain. I'm sure it's totally look upable, but I know it was a pretty penny, and he got paid a pretty penny for all those stings. Um, okay, so there's the scene. Uh, her, Helen and Bernadette, they get to Cabrini Green. Actually, it's just Helen at this point, and she goes to that one little bathroom that's kind of in the courtyard of all the high-rises. Sidebar, we're not going to go scene by scene. We're just going to highlight some things, so... Yeah, Assuming just, you've seen the movie or, yeah, won't be told any kind of order. So this is not like it's going to go play-by-play play and spoil movie stuff for you. Okay, so a couple of times uh, when they're in the hallway before they meet Anne-Marie and in the bathroom where Helen gets beat up, uh, you can see the quote that says, Sweets to the sweet. So a long time ago, I kind of wanted to look into this, and it's like, where did that come from? And in some searching, if you don't know, it is from Hamlet. And to give you a little backstory on the little Shakespearean story, um, so Ophelia is Hamlet's girlfriend, and her father is murdered. And she, of course, goes crazy after the murder of her father, and she kills herself. Hamlet's mother, Queen Gertrude, um lays the flowers at her grave uh, instead of a offering at her wedding. Um, she then, this is the direct quote, as she scatters the flowers, which are the sweets, she says, Sweets to the sweet, farewell. I hope thou should have been my Hamlet's wife. I thought thy bride bed to have decked sweet maid and not have strode thy grave so basically these flowers these sweets for sweet Ophelia she wanted to be a wedding bouquet on their glorious day but instead 
it was for the funeral of her untimely death. So just a little insight on the sweets for the sweets. So it was an offering for the deceased. I, that, that word escaped my mind for a minute. I was like, I was going to say the passer on, but that just sounded stupid. Dead, dead Z's, D-E-D, dead. D-E-D, dead. Okay, so uh, a big part of this movie for me is obviously the actors. Um, I think that they just <laughs> sold it. Like, Tony Todd shows up at the right time. He's got that voice that just chills you to the bone when he talks about being the whisper in the classroom. And now, because of your doubt, I have to shed blood. Like, that part really resonates just the fear the this is what's going to happen you doubted now you called down the thunder now you got it that's the whole premise is she's trying to shine light as like these are just stories there's nothing to Candyman. and the little boy is like so he's not real no he's not real so as soon as that's done that's when Candyman has to come in and go it's all real and I got to show you that it's real because otherwise you're going to... I have no power if no one believes. And that uh, that kid, he rocked the shit. He was... Oh, man, he was so good. He's on the bonus features for the Shout Factory release, isn't he? Um, I believe so. Yeah. But one part is when um, Helen and uh, Bernadette, they're going up. Uh, they pass the guys and they're like, hey, five O coming up. And she's like, hey, they're not going to follow us. So they are photographing the hallway that says sweets to the sweet and Anne Marie pops out with her big, huge dog. Um, they end up kind of befriending her. They get into her apartment and they start talking to her about, you know, just shit going on there. What happened with Ruthie Jean? I, I got to make sure it's the right middle name because May is the her. Right, Ruth. <laughs> yes. Um, Vanessa Williams is the uh, character, the the lady who plays Anne Marie. And when she starts telling that story about Ruthie Jean, and I heard her screaming, you can deliver lines all day till you're blue in the face, but the look in her eyes, she conveyed that fear. She had that look in her eyes like she was, like she was there, and she's remembering it, and she's there in that night again and she hears the screams and she feels the fear all over again like she sold that scene for me um i yeah her eyes just watch her eyes and just the fear in it and for a hot second she will make you a believer that she was really there when ruthie jean got killed um also in the movie ruthie jean was gutted she was not shot so um, that's another little discrepancy that was changed. Um, I personally uh, think Anne Marie was a really pivotal character for this movie. Well, then they start going into the other apartments that are empty. And as somebody who does explore abandoned places, um, I've been in all kinds from schools, small houses, regular warehouse buildings, uh, even small apartment buildings like Cabrini Green. Um, of course, a lot smaller though. And I have been, I'll tell you, the set designer knocked it out. Like they made that believable, like it really was 
an abandoned apartment. It was the abandoned, like where the Candyman sleeps, that suite there. That that was all a set, but it was indicative of things that I've seen in my years of urban exploration. They had, you know, the right graffiti, the exposed beams, holes in the wall, dirty bathtubs. Sometimes there's a creepy baby doll laying around. Um, I have seen some phenomenal artwork like in the movie. Uh, some Sometimes it is just beautiful airbrushed writing. Sometimes it is a beautiful mural that does fit around a hole. Um, that kind of makes me sad sometimes when I see it because this is such talent, such beautiful artwork, and it's in this piece of shit forgotten building that no one is ever going to see except for a small handful of people, if that. Um, so I feel like in a way it's kind of wasted talent because it's just so beautiful, but it never really gets to be seen in a public way. So speaking of uh, characters in this movie and actors, uh, there's one actor in this movie that you kind of, you see him and you just, I know you personally just always assume anytime he comes in to any other project for the rest of his career. I know who the hell you're talking about now. You always think that guy is up to no good. He's a weasel. And that's her husband, Trevor, played by Xander Berkeley. Trevor! No matter what I see that guy in, he could be saving children from a burning building and he's still a piece of shit. All because he was cheating on Helen, then he moves his hussy in while she's at the fucking mental institution. He's done moved on with life like Helen has died. And I feel like he didn't try to help her. He just kind of was like, oh, okay, she's just getting caught up in her studies, whatever. He traded her in for a younger mo- for a younger model car. And he will go on to be in spoilers. He will go on to be in The Walking Dead, and he's a piece of shit in that, too. I can't think of a movie he's been in. If you can find a movie where Xander Berkeley is, like, a really good guy, he's doing good shit, he's, you know, just that epitome of a nice person, DM me. I gots to know where this is because other than that, he is a horrible person in this movie. I mean, I, I think his, uh, I mean, he traded up and down from Virginia Madsen because, I mean, for his character, he's like, oh, he could totally manipulate the uh, the college chick that he hooks up with because she never wears a bra and does not, I'm assuming, know how to cook a fucking steak either because that's just, just raw in the fridge and she just throws that shit on a plate and like, she don't know how to do anything. He's a, he could control the shit out of her. She probably could believe anything he would say. Well, thank you for bringing in Trevor. He, uh... You got to. I, every, we'll get to him. Because every time that dude pops in, in anything we watch for, the, for, for life, you're like, fuck that guy. Even if it's his opening scene, no matter what it is, you're like, fuck that guy. I, I'm sure he's probably a nice guy in real life, but in movies... The worst always are. He In the movies, uh, he can just die right then and there, and <laughs> I'm good. And that's all stems from Candyman. Um, okay, so another character that really I enjoyed through the movie is her bestie, Bernadette. There's one scene, like, Bernadette's a good friend through the whole thing. She's like, you know... She's speaking truths. 
and there's a scene uh, where they're about to go to Cabrini Green and they're both kind of apprehensive and she goes, well, what would so-and-so do? And they would chicken out. And she goes, hell yeah, they would. So I kind of related to her with the, before I go into abandoned places, I do have that fear uh, and, but excitement at the same time. It's an excitement to get in, but a fear of what could happen when we're in there. So I really related to her on that, but when it's the scene where um, she hears Helen screaming from her apartment, Bernadette, and she comes in. Candyman slams the door behind her. The second they pan back to Bernadette, that fear, that shake, once again, she conveyed fear so well. I truly believed like there was a murderer behind the door and she was gonna get it and she knew it. Like this is it for her. That fear she conveyed through her face, her eyes, her body shaking. She just knocked it out the park once again. So hats off to, I think her name, oh Jesus, it's Lemmings. I can't think of her first name, but Bernadette was a good counterpart to Helen. And she had such a life to her uh to her face and her uh, performance and it's super jarring because you don't see her death you just hear it and it sounds violent as fuck and then you when you do see virginia madsen come out and you just get to see the aftermath it's uh, pretty much accurate to what you hear and it's kind of uh shocking to see it's one of the few times seeing just you don't see the action you just see the before and after and like it it's it's kind of rough to see. It's he's one of the rougher uh, corpses you're gonna see in a movie. It's like, oh, good lord, she is deader than shit. Um, something in case you don't know this about me, but before I started this podcast, um, I do urban exploration photography, and I've written five books about many of the places that I've been. Acknowledge me. I did not come here to promote that, but <laughs> I will use some of my abandoned expertise if you want to say when I do talk about certain movies that do have abandoned places and one thing I can say is um, I have never climbed through a medicine cabinet however I have climbed through holes in the wall like the hole where the Candyman uh, portrait is painted around it and like the mouth is all agape with the hole I have climbed through holes in the wall to get where I am going. Um, never have I had the experience like where Helen is looking through her slides and she sees something in her photos. Um, my photos, to my knowledge of all the places I've been, I've never caught anything lurking in the background. You are, you are welcome to look through her photos on her Facebook and Instagram and if you find something, bring it to her attention there was one time one time i like saw it for a second and freaked out but there was this time that me and megan were up doing this college in northern missouri almost to the iowa border and we're in a bathroom and right above like the bathroom stall it looked like a bald man like the top of a bald man's head kind of peeking over but it ended up you know upon further inspection it ended up just being a like a pipe with rust around it <laughs> um but man for a hot second i saw that and it looked like a bald head poking over the wall peeking its head over the wall 
and like a wave of fear came over me for a hot minute like holy shit what was in there when we were in there what was watching us how long was it watching us needless to say there was nothing it was just like a curved pipe going from behind a bathroom wall into another wall so um, crisis averted right and i was home after the fact so i don't even know what i would have done had it been something but it was it was terrifying for just one minute to see that and think oh my god there was somebody poking their head over and watching us take pictures um if you want i i guess i could dig that picture up and post that to the page and kind of give you a little context to (laughs) what i thought this head was um yeah so once again uh to my knowledge i've never caught anything on camera and a lot of the abandoned places that i have been if they've been abandoned for a long time like a lot of the apartments of cabrini green um what you see is that's it like you see that in a lot of inside abandoned places (laughs) Uh, well uh, yeah definitely go through the photos that she's posted maybe you can find something uh in there to 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 show off uh and if you really want to look for that it's at red vixen photography i have (laughs) i have hundreds of albums of photos of abandoned places throughout six states but I do mostly Kansas City, but I have gone through a little bit of Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and then Oklahoma, Arkansas. But going back to the star of this film, Tony Todd, who is just a phenomenal actor and human being, we got to meet a few years back. At a uh, small local horror convention. It was like 2016. 15. Something like, somewhere in there. Uh, like, so why don't you uh, share the tale of finally getting to meet Tony? Uh, my story of meeting Tony was, once again, in line. He is just so personable and nice with everybody in line. Whether you talk about Candyman, The Rock, whatever, he's down to talk about it. But the whole weekend, he was just super nice, and I had to ask. My question was, in Candyman 3, uh, they kind of go into more of his backstory of him being a slave. But the main character of Part 3, she does a series of paintings of Daniel Robitaille, which you come to find out is Candyman's real name. And uh, I asked him, I was like, and this is something I've always wanted to know, when there's a portrait painted of the celebrity in the movie after the movie's over do they get to like keep that painting what are they going to do with that painting i'm sure it would sell at a memorabilia auction no problem but i asked him did you get to keep one or any of the paintings of you from part three in which he replied no he did not but he did however get to keep the coat in which he gave to his grandmother but eventually her caretaker stole the fucking coat from her so who knows where the Candyman code is to this day. If you got it, you better turn that shit in. Yeah, you better give it back to Tony's grandma. Who steals from an old lady, especially an old lady you take care of? Uh, I think we spent like this this in the past episode talking about just those kinds of people. Touche. <laughs> Touche evil, thank you. Um, one thing that I know from the movie, uh, I'm going to kind of skip to the end here for me. But it's at the end 
where Trevor is all in the mirror going, Helen, Helen, and he's all fucking broken up about it. Uh, I personally... Don't know why. I don't know why he has a conscious all of a sudden now. Right, it's like, uh, you're fucking cheating on her this whole movie, and now you care? But anyway. <laughs> and then, of course, Helen comes back, and she's like, what's the matter, Trevor? Scared of something? And she totally guts him with the hook. Is there a burnt noggin? Uh, I totally wanted the second movie to be the continuation of that, and it wasn't. They do have a character that carries over from the first movie to the second movie. Uh, His character is only a small part in the first movie. Uh, It's the uh, professor who did his uh, research paper years before Helen did hers, and he refers to, oh, Cabrini Green as Candyman Country that guy so he carries over to part two and it goes on about helen's brother and then some other shit i farewell to the flesh uh tony todd once again knocked it out and did good he did good in part three however the storylines fell a little uh for me so question for you because uh we, we're, we're we haven't looked at any spoilers and a whole, any much information on the new movie coming out we're from the one trailer that kind of we've have watched we're kind of assuming that it's a continuation of that first movie with uh, Anne Marie. Yeah, and her boy, which has grown up now. I want to say that that's going to be a. It's going to be kind of a continuation of the original movie. Uh, but again, we don't know. Uh, hopefully, uh, it is released uh, on time this go around, and we actually get to see it. But how would you have felt if we didn't do Candyman two and three? What if it was just the original and they did not do the sequels? Would you have been if you had to choose, like you could have got Candyman one, two, and three, and then this reboot or remake or whatever this next one's gonna be, or would you, if you could redo it, would you just have Candyman in 1992 and nothing until today? Okay, that is a good uh, question. There, I personally, Thank you. <laughs> the first Candyman, flawless. Don't fucking touch it. It is perfect. It, it yeah. I, once again, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of Candyman lovers out there, I would have liked to seen the second movie been Helen. It would have been Helen being the new Candyman. Um, what neighborhood she would have terrorized, I'm not sure. That would have been great to kind of know all those details after the fact. Um, so, But since it was not Helen and we don't live in that universe, it could have just been one and now this new one with i love that Anne marie's in it i love that it's been so many years later because what 1992 was and he was a baby then and that's been like 27 28 years ago at this point almost 30 it, no it's 29 years to like yeah 29 years so that means <laughs> that the baby would be almost 30 now from the previews Anne marie looks the same she hasn't aged a day um, I love that they brought her in. I can't wait to see what the baby that was kidnapped and then returned to Anne Marie, what Anthony was his name. I can't wait to just see. We, we think how. he's the focus of the movie. I, I hope he's the focus. I, Again, it's all we we've seen one, maybe two trailers. But I, I need a little more trailer. But so far, I don't want to see much more trailer. I I'm excited. Go blind. Uh, I, I'm excited to see. Uh, is it? Oh God, who redid it? Uh, is it the Key and Peele dude? I can't think of his name for the life of me. <laughs> Jordan Peele. Yes. He uh, he has a hand in it. He oh. was not direct. Like, I initially heard that he was going to be directing it, but I guess he's not directing it, but he's one of, like, the 
the fingers on the hand that's making this. Okay, and well, we got good people behind the camera. Yeah. We've got the continuation of Anne Marie and her baby. We're in the same area? I wouldn't say same neighborhood because... I think he goes back. I think from that trailer, he does go back to... There's not much of Cabrini Green left and hasn't been for years from 1995 to 2011. Maybe he's exploring that thing of, like, if you destroy a place where evil was, does it still stay there or does it spread out kind of thing? Um, I, yeah, I guess you have a point. Either way, I am, whether Cabrini Green was still standing today or not this trailer they've got me on board i mean um, just just with something we've done personally recently uh, places objects things even if long gone and destroyed can still carry a lot of weight behind it so and apparently this uh this this dude is a photographer now so his kind of job is to capture things and in, in moments and things that have weight to it so i think it's gonna be an interesting direction it's he's a icon that I don't think it's enough uh, credit and more movies that he should. Like, it should be a really good franchise, but, I mean, most franchises eventually have a drop-off point with box office and and story and shit, and some have no uh, continuity or flow to it. They kind of go all over the place, like Halloween with its choose-your-own-adventure path, Friday the 13th with its years that are just a fucking muddled mess, and Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing, so... And Texas Chainsaw, well, that's a mess in and of itself as well. So I hope they don't pull like a like a TCM or Batman where it ends up kind of being so many, you know, movies over so many series over different universe. Well, not different universes, multiverse, but different Batmans <laughs> and everything like that. I want Candyman to stay true. I want Candyman to be what he was in the first series. Um, I hope that this is kind of a one and done, the new movie. Box if, office will determine if that. If they do not do a one and done, I hope that it just doesn't go off the rails. Like, I'm trying to not uh, I don't think like, things catastrophize this <coughs> possible movie series. I think that's a... Like, 2010, I, we, I discussed this on a recent Nightmare on Elm Street live stream we did on our channel... That I think the 2010 Elm Street was one of the last movies that did not have that uh, fan uh, backlash kind of thing. Like Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog came uh, trailer came out. People were fucking pissed about the eyes of Sonic, so they had to re overhaul that whole thing from fan backlash. I really feel, and that's a total double edged sword of uh, fans having that much power today to influence uh, what is coming out bad in a sense is everyone has an opinion and a lot of them are kind of shit and people are people can be pretty like dicks about their opinions on things but at the same time the good side of that is okay we don't have studio fucking interference trying to push what they think this shit should be and the hardcore fans can tell you no this is what it should be you want to make money you want things to be good go this route so i think it's in good hands with that and I'm totally fine if this kicks off, you know, the Candyman legacy with, you know, like Halloween. Like, it just re reinvigorates the whole series. And we can kind of start from scratch a little bit here and go on and have two, three, four, five, twelve hundred movies. 
and that would be cool but hopefully not like the halloween series i hope that <laughs> that they keep like the same kind of writers the same directors the same continuity because in my opinion the halloween series there were too many cooks in the kitchen and the story went from this to this to this and i'm not even talking about part three that's not even part of the series in my opinion that movie stands on its own as its own good story now i just don't want it to be too many cooks in the kitchen and then Candyman's story changes and then it's some weird shit and we get some cult people and then there's a director's cut and a producer's cut and it's and it again, ends up being a hot pile of shit again all things i'm not worried as much about in this day and age i feel 2021 uh fans have a lot more power if shit starts going off rails they're gonna be the first ones to verbally knock things back in line with uh, social medias and whatnot to keep things kind of on track. So I'm not super worried about that these days. Previous, you know, decades and shit, we kind of would take whatever the fuck they dished out and they didn't always dish out good stuff. I will have to say, this is up there in one of my top horror movies. Uh, one of the coolest, greatest celebrities I met. Um, yeah, it, he, he was just, he was tops. This movie is tops. Uh, I can't wait for the new one to come out and see what direction they take it, how Anne Marie's story continues. It's it's going to be good. So on that note, uh, we're kind of nearing our hour here, and I just kind of wanted to wrap up with uh, thanking you and um, for all your input. I kind of I had stuff to say this time, but apparently my notes kind of <laughs> ran out early on this one. Oh, so I'm more relied relied upon this week. Uh, I'm again. I'm always here. Occasionally, uh, she's gonna fill me in with somebody better to uh, to uh, passenger this this vehicle with her. But uh, you've had a few requests. Uh, oh yes, since. I was gonna get to that. So what are you uh, gonna be working on next? So uh, I got my first request. Thank you, Michael, uh, and I will be working diligently over the next few days to do the case of. Uh, let me see, Robert Edward Stansberry. I try not to give away spoilers for my show next week, but uh, he was an ice cream truck man killer, uh, and that's all I'm going to leave it at, and we're going to get more into that next week. Um, we're going to wrap up for now, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Housewife of Horrors. There I will kind of just upload links and the pictures also to like people who... So you have faces to the names of all these people like uh, Ruthie Mae McCoy and many of the children who were mentioned last week, some of the more bigger cases like Dantrell Davis. Um, and oh, we will also be posting a picture of the photo he talked about earlier, the drawing from the newspaper article about coming through the medicine cabinet, which when you see that it's, it's pretty dark and ominous. But on that note, <laughs> we're gonna call it a day for now and uh dark and ominous like losing your balls is a bad thing <laughs> right so on that note uh thank you again for listening we totally appreciate your support totally and any comments or if you have uh, a local case if you're listening locally in casey and you have a casey case you want me to cover or whatever send me a dm i will look into it and see what i can uh drum up for you and uh, while you're doing all that, feel free, because this is a uh, Spotify-delivered uh, podcast. Uh, jump in through there, and if you can't find it there, go through Anchor and uh, give this uh, show a good old five-star rating. 
It, uh, I know everyone else says it, but uh, apparently it does help with the higher ratings you get. It gets the, the shit out there more. So give it a five star. Give it a like. Share the shit out of it. Get the word out there. Somebody new is in the podcasting game and she don't sleep. Uh, I do sleep, but it's not very often. Not on cases. So, yes, I will try to get to the bottom of a rabbit hole. I actually thought about renaming the show something Rabbit Hole because every time we get into something, there's always something that leads to something else, and I find myself... It's not a rabbit hole to me. Every every week is a Charlie Day meme. I miss... uh, I almost missed an appointment today because I was so into (laughs) researching the two guys who killed Ruthie Jean. Uh, Ruthie May, I'm sorry. I'm getting my Ruthies confused. Just Ruthie. Anyway, uh, so that being said, uh, thank you for your time. Much love and big hugs, and we will see you next week. Helen.